Yeah, she'll teach you how to be artistically you. Not afraid to talk about what's taboo. So don't play small. Join the podcast with Nikki Collins. Autism Unmasked. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Autism Unmasked. My name's Nikki Collins. I'm the autism coach and author of Through Autistic Eyes. You can find out more about my coaching and my book on my website, theautismcoach.co.uk. And today I'm talking to Sylvan Ruthenberg, who is an adaptive artist and a sales executive at LinkedIn. He's also a later diagnosed autistic male who was diagnosed last summer, and it came as a little bit of a... um, as a revelation for him. So welcome to Autism Unmasked, Sylvan. It's great to have you here today. Thank you for, for being here. Hi, Nikki. Thanks so much for having me. Um, happy to be here and, and have the chat. No, it's, it's great. I've, I speak to so many different people as a part of this, and it's just it's wonderful to see the diversity that us autistics bring to this world, Sylvan. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yeah. It's like, especially like I've only really um, been a bit more active since um, I say spring this year, mm. and it's just the variety and also the, the 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 amount of content that has been picking up um, is it's great to see. It's like there has been a quite the shift over the past month. I feel. Well, I think there's just it's gaining momentum. Definitely gaining momentum. Mm-hmm. I was told a couple of years ago, before all the lockdowns, I was told that there wouldn't be a place for me on LinkedIn by a LinkedIn expert because there was no one needed to learn about what I had to offer, which was education around neurodiversity and being neurodivergent. And my profiles might not be in the top 1%, but it's certainly got a lot of traction and I've got a lot of followers and I get a lot of feedback on how helpful the content has been. And I just think, wow, if I'd have listened to that person and not followed what I thought, actually, this could be quite good. All that information would have just been lost. It would. And we probably wouldn't even be talking at this stage because yeah, like I, for instance, am pretty much only active on, on LinkedIn. I don't, because I'm not a big fan of social media otherwise. And mm. so, yeah, now I'm glad that you didn't listen to that person, whoever that was. <laughs> I'm not surprised that you're active on LinkedIn, given your job title. <laughs> no, it's uh, part of part of my daily business. Um, but I have been a pretty avid user even before I started working with them uh, or for them. Um, but yeah, um, like I use my LinkedIn profile mainly for my advocacy though. Um, so it's, even though I work for LinkedIn, the profile that we have is completely private to us. So what we do, what we post is completely up to us. Um, and yeah, like for me, it's, um, because being a light diagnosed and then having also probably that bit of a bumpy history at most late diagnosed have. Um, it was important to me and for me to do my part to have make sure that like people that or folks that start working after me um, don't have the same issues or the same traumatic experiences as most of us do. Um, and so that's how I sort of started uh, started out. Um, 
bit more or less frequent over the past couple of months because uh, I had a lot of personal issues to deal with. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. You're through the other side now, I hope. I am, yeah. On the, um, for me, it was also important. Like, I didn't have a proper vacation over the past two and a half years. So I had that one just in. And it was much needed. And then it felt good. So now I'm, like, proper recharged and ready to go. It's a journey to be able to schedule that time out for yourself and actually take it rather than fill it with stuff. I know that when I came into this year, the first thing that I did coming into 2022 was to look at how much time I'd taken off last year. It was Mm -hmm. about six weeks. And I thought, well, that's really good because like you, I'd just been going and going and going. And then it was only until I was forced to stop that Mm -hmm. I'd then take time out. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to avoid those episodes of burnout and everything that comes with that. Mm. And I scheduled eight weeks in for this year and I've mostly taken it. And it's been a game changer because it's been such a busy year. But I've got everything done. And next year I'm going to increase that that leave and it'll be lovely. So, But that was the first thing. So I try and treat myself as a business and schedule out time for Nikki. And like you would do, yeah. do like... Kid stuff, work stuff, stuff for others. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's important to do fun stuff as well. Um, just like sometimes it's even during the days. Sometimes you have very busy working days. It's just do something fun or silly or stupid for five minutes. Going for a walk, sometimes I find very boring because I do that all the time. Mm. Uh, so sometimes I just find something very silly to do. Then do that for five minutes and go back and just like start writing my emails again. And it's just like really finding those little moments and be very mindful about them. Um, and then it just kind of completely suck you in. And then you're like really proper relaxing in a different headspace for a few minutes. What sort of silly things do you do? If you can think of any off, off the cuff. <laughs> um, sometimes I take a pen and paper and draw very silly because my drawing skills are still the one of a four-year-old. <laughs> but I still like to draw. So I like sometimes does draw stupid things, like very, very rudimentary animals. Or I find something on the internet like a very mind-numbing game to play um or just randomly type numbers into my phone but i do it very it's not so much about what you do um rather than doing it very consciously very mindfully Mm. um that is the whole point really about doing it um or sometimes just have a pen in my hands um i think i even shared that exercise once on linkedin um, it's just, and then just really mindfully looking at it from all sides. Um, it's because you need those like long breaks, like holidays, but oftentimes we get so caught up in your work that we end up working two, three hours in a row. And then at the end of the day, you feel completely exhausted, even though you might have time to go out, have dinner, but you don't, and you only stay in, get up the next morning and just go back into that vicious circle. Mm. Um, so having those mindful moments throughout the day is something that helps me at least um because my work is usually also very fast-paced as you can imagine um so having the ability or the yeah having to just 
step down and just go out, step on the brake and say, okay, stop. So important. So important. And I know that you're a big advocate and fan of mindfulness and you've got a, a slightly different approach to what others might have. Yeah. So for me, it was also probably a long journey when it comes to meditation. Like I've been meditating and doing mindfulness for around 17 years. Um, but I started out about, I think when I was 14, 15. Um, and for me, it was really about finding the right technique because um, I'm autistic, but I, I, and I also have ADHD. Now I'm on the severely hyperactive side. Um, I ran on three and a half to four hours of sleep on average when I was younger. Um, and I was fine. And so sitting still, um, getting my brain calmed down was not necessarily the easiest thing for me to do. Um, and I literally, I tried Japanese Buddhism, various form of Hindu Buddhism. I think pretty much any type of meditation form on this, but I tried it. Even Zen Buddhism, which is literally one of the toughest because you just sit down and have to be quiet. I, I remember the first time I sat in that session of the Zen Buddhism. There was, there was a Zen tem, uh, temple in Berlin, Berlin where I grew up. I actually opened my eyes between two seats. Like, are they actually like just sitting there? They were with their eyes closed. I was like, I can't. Um, and so eventually, by accident, I met someone in, um, I think it was a conference or I think it was a sports conference or like a sports event. Um, and I started talking to that person and, this is, and he's like, yeah, I've been doing this because ever since I was little because my parents taught me. And obviously as a little child, you have a bit more of an issue on how to sit still and be mindful, but he's like, he learned it. And for him, there was this one technique, which is called, he called, and I still call it that way, the elevator technique. So most of neurodivergence, especially those with ADHD, have a hard time to calm their brain down. So when you sit down and try to meditate, the amount of information oftentimes increases rather than gets less, at least for the first, say, one to two minutes. And, and so what he told me basically is you sit down or however you feel comfortable meditating, and then you just let your mind go wherever it needs to go, let it flow. Because as a matter of fact, if you wait long enough, and the first few times it might take longer, um, the thoughts, the amount of thoughts and information that bumps around in your brain would effectively decrease. And once you feel comfortable enough to say that you have it under control, you move then um, to, on to say that you have an elevator inside your head. And you really have to imagine that and then open the doors of that elevator and the rest of the thoughts that are still in your head. You mindfully push them into the elevator, close the doors, and then that elevator goes down into your stomach. And now when you do that, you might have to repeat that a few times. Mm. But eventually you will, and it's not necessary that they will completely be gone. They don't have to be. This is something that comes over time, but it will be enough for you to settle in and say, okay, now I can try to 
volcano meditate because I'm calm enough to actually do it. Um, and that's the whole trick. Um, and whenever there's a thought coming back, a new train of thought coming back, it's not about saying, oh, I, I shouldn't be thinking about it. It's just let it go. It's coming and it's going. Um, so it's really about not having um, that old image that's like, oh, I, I can't think about anything. And yes, you can. That's the whole point, really. Um, it's just a different approach. Of it. Um, so, and, and that elevator technique is something I've taught quite a few people. And it worked almost every single time. So I hope this might help others to, to get into that jet uh, system. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I haven't heard it described like that, but there, I mean, there's so many different ways, as you very well know, because you've been looking into different methods for 17 years. And it's just brilliant when you find something and then you have such a transformative experience with it that you can then go and teach and share it with other people so that they can maybe are able to have a, a similar experience too. And there is so much power in that. <clears throat> And the way that you talk about it as well, you, you can see that your passion is coming through with it. Or here, yeah. I can see it because I'm looking at you, but <laughs> other people can hear that too. <laughs> uh, I guess. Yeah, no, I meditate every day. Sometimes it's just a few minutes, um, but I usually try to at least take out half an hour per day. Um, I'm also an avid fan of the moon. So whenever there's a full moon or a new moon, um, or if I'm up early enough, sunrise, sunset um i'll be the one sitting in front of it and meditating it's, it's will, you, you'll never find me up at sunset <laughs> sorry uh, some um in the morning um oh god sunrise yeah. sunrise yeah you won't find me up at that time of day but you will find me swimming under the light of the full moon so i've, I've i know that you you like your cold water exposure and i do wild swimming which I know would be your top choice if you had the if i could yes yeah. absolutely um but as a matter of fact yes what i do instead of um wild swimming if i can't or going ice swimming in an actual lake or um, the atlantic ocean for that matter <laughs> um i do um ice bath or ice showers um how did i get into that um quite young really um so my mom is a physical therapist and she would always make sure that we eat healthy, live healthy. And, and so in winter, um, it was recommended to take hot and cold showers yeah. to boost the immune system. Um, so I kind of got used to it. And when I was growing up and then I feel when my ADHD sort of came through, I was doing a lot of sports. Um, but I also realized that I wasn't really able to relax or sometimes my brain would just go haywire. And then for some reason I had the, the, the intuition to just take an ice cold shower. Um, and so I did. And I stood, stood under that shower um, probably for a good few minutes on that day. Um, and then when I came out, I felt amazing. And my brain was completely calm. I was like, oh, huh, this is interesting. Mm. Uh, and so I actually kept doing it um, and I still do it to this day. And it's those days, there are those days when my brain is just so full of information because there's so much stuff to do or just having a bad day for whatever reason. Um, I will end up taking an ice cold shower. There's a very easy trick to this, even though it takes time to learn it. 
Um, so first of all, you should take a normal shower at the temperature you like. Um, and some people then go back slowly, colder and colder and colder. I don't do that. What I do is I go from whatever temperature. And I shower very hot, by the way. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So I shower probably around 38 to 40 degrees. Just I love hot showers. And then I go to the ice cold. But before I do that is you know that the hot cold water will be coming. Mm. So it is about imagining again, you know that the that the hot water is actually already turning cold. And then breathing in a way that you would be breathing when the cold water will hit your body because automatically your breathing rate will increase. So mm. if you stop doing that before you sleep, you actually turn the water cold, your body already sort of adjusts a little bit to it. So the shock is less. Oh, interesting. Um, and that's that's how that's how I usually recommend starting out with it if unless you just have a lot of courage and just do it but no uh, so that's that's usually the easy way of um slow adjusting to it quicker and making and lessen the shock um although the shock is a bit part of the game but um mm. that breathing technique um I, I think it even has a specific name Wim Hof. Um, I think Wim Hof yeah I never I only recently found out that this is an actual technique because I just did that I think by by intuition rather than anything else. Um, so then now they discovered that there are actually people who teach this, which is uh, very very good to see. But yeah, and um, that's one of those techniques. And the other one, and that's the hardcore version when I'm like need to like properly reset. Um, if there was a very specific event or just a very very like extensive period of stress and in the sense of like just a lot of things to do and uh, it's the ice bath um that's what i do is i just take a lot of ice bags with ice cubes yeah fill up my bathtub and then fill it up with water please tell me you ease yourself in gradually and you just don't dunk no, you just go in. in and like what i do is like i literally just slide in Oh. Um, and then stay under like I can hold my breath pretty long because of the meditation and the, the amount of time that I do it but just hold your breath basically for as long as you can wow um, and then just stay inside the cold for as much as you your head eventually have to come up but everything else should if possible stay under um, and rest there for 15 to 20 minutes um, people usually start out with smaller time increments, but you actually get an actual benefit, you need 15 to 20 minutes. Um, it's good for neurodivergence, but it's also help, very healthy for your body if you have, say, problems with your joints or lower immune system, it will help because it boosts and creates processes in, in your body. Not that I can explain them, but they basically, they're very restorative processes in, that will be kicked up in your body. Wow. I know that my son, he's ADHD, 16, and he discovered cold showers. Actually, it was through me because I was taking cold showers at the time. And I've, I've slipped with that, but I do do open water swimming. So, but it is something I could definitely get back into because I saw a benefit. I had so much more energy throughout the day and my sleep was also better. So, and that was just through doing it for a short amount of time. Plus, 
the achievement that you get from doing something like that first thing in the day, you set yourself up for the day because you've done something that realistically you kind of yeah. don't really want to do. True. And you've, you've, you've I, I don't know, have you come across the book Eat That Frog? I have heard about it. I had it in my hands a few times, but I have never read it. No, unfortunately not yet. Okay, so the take the main takeout from that book is that if you have a task that you don't want to do, we have a tendency to push it off and push it off and push it off. Now, that's the ugly frog. If you do that task, eat the task, eat the frog, get it out of the way the rest of the day, whenever your mind comes back to it and thinks, oh, no, I've got to do this thing, I've got to tackle this frog, this ugly task, say, oh, actually, I've already done it. So whatever happens within your day after that is going to be good because you've done the thing that you really, really didn't want to yeah. do. Oh, that's smart. Mm. I guess it's a um, an anti-procrastinating tool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but my that's son, good. he found he found that it was a good thing to shower if his mind was playing tricks on him, or if he was going off on a little bit of a tangent. Mm-hmm. Um, helps with um, rejection sensitivity as well because it literally brings you back into your yeah. body and takes you mm-hmm. out of your head yeah I, I do that to this day some like if i work from home specifically it's even easier and i feel i have too much and like just can't get myself even because even though i meditate since i'm 16 um there are still days where i can't when i have my brain is just too far in everywhere direction and that's the same thing i'll just i'm just taking a shower i'll just don't think about it just take a shower done. Um, and that that's that's yeah i can still recommend that and if you can't take a shower um find a sink that you can close off and fill it with water and dip your head in and that's the emergency variant that i sometimes use because yeah if you're in an office or in a space where you can't and you just need that reset um yeah a sink will do as well I like that. That's a really good tip. Um, the other thing as well with being going from hot and cold water is mm-hmm. I've done a lot of energy work over the years and I, I love it. So we so often work on personal development and we work mm-hmm. on our mental blocks, but then we forget yeah. to do the energy work, which kind of just pulls it all together. And yeah. I found that it actually fragments that heavier energy so if you go from having a nice hot shower to then going to cold, it's such mm-hmm. a shock that anything that's sort of lingering in your energetic field, just it fragments. So it shatters, it breaks, and it just makes it so much easier to kind of work through. Yeah, that is true. It's for me, I also do a lot of energy work, even though I really more consciously have started only about a year and a half, two years ago, year and a half. I've subconsciously always done it i just didn't know what i was doing um and for me it's also when i take that cold shower in that moment it's usually when i um do this for those who know a chakra alignment yeah so that's that moment because it's literally as you said there's the shattering moment that pulls everything right back into your body mm. and that's when I, when I then get usually get out of the showers um zen as you more probably would say it's completely calm 
um, yeah. and can hold that feeling usually also for quite a long time. And so, yeah, yeah you know, totally. It was one of my most successful meditations that I put out onto the internet on a YouTube channel. And that was a shower one where you visualized the energy, the water basically washing everything that you don't want mm -hmm. away down the plug and just going out because energy can't be, it can't be destroyed, but we can repurpose it. We can put it back out there and use it for a different intent. And mm -hmm. most of the things it's like, using the energy of the moon, meditation, manifesting, which for those who don't know, that just means to make real. So everything is a manifestation of someone's thought, absolutely everything. All of these things, it, it builds so close, links so closely into intent. Yes. Um, that's also something I always say and always teach. Um, no matter the situation, no matter what you do, no matter what you think, no matter who you're with, whatever is happening in your life or whatever you do in your life, do it with intent. If you don't do anything else, do it with intent is the number one thing anyone should remember. Yeah. Um, and then by that, you are usually automatically also won't um, do something you shouldn't be doing. In mm. the sense of, do, not that you're not making mistakes, you will, but say something that is ethically questionable or immoral, at least by the standards you would live by. If you do whatever you do intentionally, it won't happen because you will think subconsciously think two, twice, three times about what you do. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah i say for various reasons um something important to remember yeah it is it is important everything feeds is fed by intent it really is so you were diagnosed later on i know we touched mm -hmm. on this briefly when we first started talking you was diagnosed in early 2019 um mm -hmm. that was adhd and autis autism last year Correct, yeah. What kind of got you to explore the um, process? Okay, so um, the ADHD, just as much as the autism, were discovered by accident, really. Although the ADHD, I was kind of thinking that it must have been this. Um, so, brief story. I got diagnosed in December 18, 2019. 2018 from me was emotionally one of the more strenuous ones, let's say. Okay. Um, I ended my long-term relationship, my grandmother passed, and then I also, yeah, was kind of a bit stuck at work. And because of those factors coming together, something in my brain must have kicked off. Um, so I was studying at that time remotely and I already had done my first year, had set my exams, all went well. And then all of a sudden I wouldn't be able to read two pages of a book and remember whatever was written in there. Hmm. Um, and that was something to me that was just not working because on top of it, I'm hyperlexic. So I usually read 120 pages, 150 pages of a book. Nowadays, probably more hundred, but at that time it was still a bit younger. 
And, and then I couldn't read anything, like nothing. I wouldn't be able to focus. Mm. Was, okay, like, it was an emotional strenuous situation for me. So I like, this is going to go away. So, well, turns out it didn't. And then I ended up going to a therapist, um, but my GP first and then a therapist who very swiftly diagnosed me with ADHD, big surprise, um, and then put me on meds. Um, and that helped me. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that I have those medications. I don't, I don't say you should be taking them unless you have to. In my case, I don't really have a choice, but I lived without them my entire life before. Um, but for me, it's like, I cherish them nowadays because they help. It's making, they're making my life a lot easier. Um, and then I switched countries um, also switched my medication, which I was very happy about. And then I still had to get those because they're very heavily controlled um, substances. You can only get them from psychiatrists, for instance, in Ireland. And of those, there are very few who, on top of it, are specialized in ADHD. Um, long story short, I ended up with one um, because the old one that I had retired. And on the day that I went to the doctor, um, it was not my best day. I had been just denied a promotion. And there were like a lot of other things I wasn't very happy with. Mm. And then I had to go to the doctor just knowingly. I only had to get my prescription. Like that's the my my ADHD medication and the prescription thereof was the only reason why I went to that doctor. And I had to spend a lot of money on it. And I was very frustrated on that day. Um, so I went in um, and then he spoke to me for an hour. And I jokingly say I was probably that textbook art, uh, artist on that day. Um, because I spoke to the to my doctor for an hour and I faced the wall and I did not look anywhere else. I spoke to the wall for an hour straight. Now, people that know me, um, don't always do eye contact, but most of the times I'm too completely okay with it just because I conditioned at this stage probably. Yeah. Um, but that day I didn't. And I was also very, I'd say, you could see that, yeah, there were like a few things I said and probably a few behaviors that I did, the, the way that I behaved. Um, that looking back, you couldn't have not not seen it. <laughs> and so at the end of the session, he gave me a prescription and then it's like, okay. And I asked him, so what's your assessment of me? Because like now I told you all of this about me. He was like, and then he goes to me, he was like, well, you have ADHD, but more importantly, you're definitely autistic. And I'm like, eh, okay. Took my prescription and left. Because at that time, and especially on that day, I sincerely didn't care. Yeah. And then, because there were like COVID, yeah, had a slight impact on me. So I um, was sick last year. And when I got very sick, that's when all kind of came together. Right. Um, and that's when I also like started actually looking and trying to understand what does it mean to me? Because most people, when they get the late diagnosis, they look back. Um, and I remember I had the same when I had my ADHD diagnosis. You get very harsh on yourself. It's like, oh, see, if I would have known, you would have done that differently. I'll use that. 
Um, yeah. So I had been through that motion already. Um, and in between, I had an ADHD coach um, who helped me on so many levels, but specifically my, increasing my self-awareness. So the second time around when I did that with the autism, I was like, no, I'm not going to go for that negative frame. I'm going to do this positively. It's like, this is this, the last puzzle piece that made me understand why I felt like an alien the entire time and knowing it was different. Um, but I'm not going to look for, for, for any failures or deficiencies that, that, that I may have. It's like, I'm just going to look, what is it that is different? What, what those things such as my long-term memory, my visual memory, how can I use that? And that's how I approached the second time around. Um, being very forgiving and just like, okay, what can I learn from those situations? And more importantly, which kind of skills do I have that I, I'm not aware of yet? Um, mm -hmm. So that's the important bit. Like if late diagnosis, I do not recommend to be too harsh on yourself rather than approach the situation, look at them and say, okay, this is how it went, but what can I learn from it? Um, most specifically, what I always say, know your triggers. There's always a trigger for something. Absolutely. You find those, you're usually on a good way of yeah, also developing yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's something I teach too, because once you can identify those, you can then start to work out which ones can be avoided, which ones can be minimized. And which ones you have to prepare for and take time out, schedule it in for afterwards, because some of them aren't avoidable, but right. some things you can outsource and get other people to do. So you never have to be in the situation that triggers you in the first place. But right. you do have to become a little bit of a detective in order to get to that point. Yeah. Another thing that I say is that when you get that diagnosis, it's like a snow globe. You shake it up and eventually it will all settle to the bottom and in that period you need to be kind you need to be compassionate and you need to give yourself space to watch yes. it because it's not as simple as a snow globe being shaken up it is no. an emotionally challenging time some people skip through it and it feels like a totally liberating experience but often there is a period of adjustment where you do have the how could my life have been different what would have been different if i'd have known ah <laughs> That's the question you should never ask yourself. Exactly. It's a question that you don't go there. Um, yeah. Full on, like I, if I can be that harsh, do not go there. Learn from what was different. And I feel most late diagnoses have that knowledge somehow of being different than anyone, than most, not anyone, but most. Um, so just having that revelation is something that you can cherish because after all, you finally know that, yes, it's not just you, this, it, you are different. Um, and I recommend if you have that, then also like nowadays it is easy connect with other people, hear other people's stories because yes, everyone's journey is different, mm. but then at the same time, they'll oftentimes similar situations and just hearing that from other neurodivergence and how they experience their life up and until their diagnosis is something that helps normalizing things mm -hmm. um helps normalizing having a bit more of a chaotic life such as myself like my life is chaotic and a constant roller coaster 
there's always hiccups. So I'm um, I'm used to that, and it's it's okay. Um, I I'm completely fine with that. So it's just like just reach out to other people. You'll see if you're not alone. It's it's now you're not the only person who puts their car keys in the dishwasher or the fridge <laughs> or wherever else really it's not just you there are other people out there <laughs> there absolutely are I once knew somebody who when she went out on a night out drinking she'd come home and every single morning without fail her sister would open a fridge door and find her sister's shoes in the fridge I don't know why I still don't know why but every time she went out she got drunk and she would take her shoes off and put them in the fridge love it okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of those things that that particular person did so oh mm. such and such has been out the night before right mm-hmm. <laughs> take those out <laughs> how about we put, put some milk and some coffee in there <laughs> no but that that could be something i could have done probably um i mean putting two different shoes or a different suit jacket and different shoes and different socks and the shirt the wrong way around and then go to work been there done that <laughs> yeah yeah, um, it's, it's okay until you try and put a hoodie on, maybe not to go to work, and that's around the wrong way. So you just get your head in the hoodie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Help me, I'm being attacked by this fabric. I can't escape. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've done that too. Oh, God. Yeah, no, like dressing dressing up myself is, is can be a challenge sometimes. Exactly, exactly. These things that people take as simple aren't so simple. Oh, especially if your mind is already somewhere else. Exactly. Very hard to focus. <laughs> <laughs> so one last thing that I wanted to talk to you about and uh, find out a little bit more about is your advocacy work, because I know that your vision is to kind of make businesses understand how valuable neurodivergent individuals are and you're working towards a more inclusive workforce and that all important belonging, really. Yeah, um, I guess I'm like now slowly also having feeling that I've found myself because there was also a lot of experimenting in and around how I wanted to do my advocacy work over the last month. Mm. Um, but for me, it's really because I I used to work as a um, as a consultant before. Um, I have that strong business interest, and then at the same time. Um, yes, I'm just very much for equitable access to to work and, and, and opportunity. Um, and then the research that is out there, as little as it is, shows that there is a huge benefit to it. So I'm really focusing on finding specific examples um, and showcasing them on how this is, on why neurodivergence um, or disable the people with disabilities um are a benefit to your workforce um and pushing for that because they there's still the belief that it's not something that needs to be done now um but rather than in a few years um and i'm a strong believer in film believer that this is not the case that this time is now mm-hmm. um, and 
yeah, it's really about trying to to find ways and alleys to make businesses understand that this yes we we are a huge benefit to to your company to your business to your, to your bottom line, um, but you need to make it work for us. I frankly say nowadays it's like we are or we have been adapting to your world forever. So how about you just change a few little things? So you make it work for us and we can work with you. Yeah. Um, and it oftentimes doesn't take much, but it's companies haven't fully understood. And that's also what trying what I'm trying to convey is, oh, we do a bit of this. We do a bit of that. Um, we do a bit of inclusion, a bit of diversity, a bit of belonging. But they usually only have one of those focus areas. Um, and so that change that needs to happen is something that needs to happen at every level of the organization at the same time. It's sort of like, yeah, really like putting it into a, a box or a framework and then shake it around a bit and make it work. And yes, there will be things that won't work, but mm. you need to have that shift at once and then figure out everything else on the, along the way. Um, because if you only focus on one area, then say you're high, you, you're very inclusive in, in recruiting, but you don't know how to, how to actually keep those people. They walk out the door on the, the other side. Yeah. Um, that's also so where I try to go. Yeah, um, it's in people's benefits to keep neurodivergent employers, all employers anyway, but when you've got that cost of the recruitment process, not only in financially, but of time, and then autistic and neurodifferent people bring so many different skill sets into an organization when they are allowed the freedom to share yeah. those opinions and as you say it's about meeting us halfway so there was one executive who was like a bear of a sore head if he mm. was interrupted now that was basically his hyper focus was being broken so he was being very grumpy and he would hold his hands up and say yeah I am. I'm not particularly pleasant in those moments. What the what we ended up coming up with was that his PA would come in with a note. She would just leave a note on a designated part of his desk. And when he was able to switch his focus, he would then pick up the note, work out whether or not it needed his attention in the moment. If it did, he'd action it. She didn't get her head bitten off. He didn't have his distraction, uh, His he didn't have the distraction and his hyper-focus broken. And that one tiny thing, which probably yeah. took 10 minutes, maybe 20 minutes on a bad day, on a busy day, made such a difference to the overall sort of atmosphere in the office. And it's free. It's just that, right, okay, let's think about this. And maybe we need to think about this out of the box. Yeah. Um, I, I am smiling and laughing the entire time because I'm the same. So if am I. Hyper focus, yeah. Don't break my hyper focus because I will not only bite your head off, but I will completely devour you in within one second. Yes. And so, like, especially when I was studying, still, um, it's often like you get into the grid and then you just go. And then, um, one of my best friends, he would make sure that, like, if I was studying, I would study six hours nonstop. So, no food, no drinks. Um, so it's like also the on my right periphery, there would be water and chocolate. And on my left periphery, there were, would be the questions if there were any. And my mom was the same. They, they know, it's like, if I'm focused with my headphones on, 
and you need something, text me. And then I will decide whether this needs my immediate attention. Like I will usually very immediately look at it. Um, and then it might take a minute or two till I process. And then if I realize oh, this needs my immediate attention, then I will immediately action on it. Um, mm. But if not, then no. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 those kind of moments that you need to understand. It's like when to interact. Um, it's sometimes even because I I am hybrid, so I go back to the office. Um, but with me, people have already understood that if I have my headphones on, I most often won't even see you, even though you're right in front of me. Yeah. Um, and then also just not to interrupt me. It's like there are days I walk into the office with headphones. I stay with headphones pretty much the entire time and then leave with headphones. So I go in the office without speaking to anyone. Um, but that's okay too. Um, it's just people have to understand that, yeah, that are those days. Um, and when I feel like talking to people, then I have to take the headphones off. Um, but I must say, like my company, we are... Um, in that end, we are very inclusive, um, and especially the the group that I work with, or the wider team I work with, um, it's also um, younger, mm. so more like mid late twenties, so more Gen Z generation. You can already see, um, or like late millennial, early Gen Z generation. You can already see that shift and that approach to uh, neurodivergency for them. It's something already completely normal to a certain extent um i remember the same with with me because i'm also gay um so for me when i was growing up being gay when i was 18 was already kind of normal it wasn't like something that had been much talked about and i feel with the next generation we are sort of at that point to an extent with neurodivergency as well um at least from the ones that I've interacted with over the past month. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there's a massive community, LGBTQ plus community. I ran a month long series of blogs and I touched on it in the podcast that I did during August, I think it was, just because I could. I basically met the organiser or someone who used to organise the New York Gay Pride. Oh, wow. I know. And we were having a barbecue in her back garden. I just, I was looking for friends for my son because we'd moved areas and I was looking for friends for him and ended up making a friend myself, which was pretty cool. And she does a lot within the community. And I just thought, I never use like my experiences as a gay person within the autistic community. And I thought, I've got a platform for this. Let's share some stuff just because I can. Yeah. And it was it was an interesting month. It was an interesting month. And she was an interesting person, is an interesting person as well. Quite sure mm. that she's probably autistic. And she's just had a quick look through a few of the chapters in my new book mm-hmm. and had to stop reading because it was so triggering for her because she's not diagnosed. And uh, okay. each of the chapters in my book is a later diagnosed autistic woman's experience as a later diagnosed autistic person. Mm -hmm. And as we've touched on in our conversation today, there are parallels in the autistic experience, but each journey is so individual and unique to every single one of us. But when you're starting to resonate and go, oh, I do that. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. Oh, wow. Am I? 
and she's since gone off and had a conversation with family, had a bit of a conversation with myself, touched on getting a diagnosis. And people have turned around and said, oh, yeah, we always thought of that. So why didn't you tell me? Ah! Right. <laughs> right. Uh, I was like, okay. I mean, I had this talk with my mum too. Um, I've, she was straight out. Like, I mean, uh, I grew up in a very progressive yet traditional German family. So like I had very old values. I mean, the, as a kid, I would hold the door for the adults or help an elderly lady across the street. I always say please and thank you. Good morning to each and every person. That's at one part, but then on the other side, there was like also like very open-minded, very progressive in how things were approached. Mm. So I could very much be myself. Um, when when I was growing up um, and I feel my mom said yes there was probably a bit of the thought but it was very new in Germany in general to talk about ADHD um, and then it had a big stigma around it so my mom even though she said she might have had the hunch it wouldn't have been to my benefit because they would have probably sent me to some special school um, and I would have never finished high school da 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 um, so it was just long because I was always doing well in school. I never had that issue. One of my regular mantras is I trust the process as it unfolds. And another one is everything happens in perfect divine timing. And I think it just does happen. There's always a bigger agenda and it just slots into place. And when you look back and you go, actually, this makes sense. Not yeah. always, but the majority of the time when enough time has passed and you look back it suddenly yeah. starts to really click in and make sense. Mm. So th- thank you for having a conversation with me today, Sylvan. Obviously you can be found on LinkedIn and I'll pop that into the show notes, your your profile and link that to you. Is there any other way that people can connect with you? Uh, not for the moment, no. I'm actually only active far on LinkedIn. Um, okay. so it might be in the future, um, but uh, <laughs> for the moment, no. I know you are a man with plans. I know this. <laughs> What's your face? Yeah. Silver's <laughs> coming through. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for being here today. Really do value your time. And it's been a really fascinating conversation. And I'm sure people will take much from it. Thank you so, so much for having me, Nikki. It was I mean, a very fantastic chat. And uh, looking forward to more podcasts. Brilliant. Thanks. And for our listeners... Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never have to miss an episode again. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast with Nikki Collins. Autism Unmasked.